When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to History of College Football. I am Jay Abramson, and I will take you down a gridiron memory lane. The national champions, the teams, the rivalries, the conferences, the Heisman winners, the rankings. Today, we are lucky to have a very special guest, Mr. Mike McCoy, sportscaster, contributor for stateoftheu.com, and former host of the radio show, The Mike McCoy Show, found at Slam Radio. You may find him on Twitter at Twitter handle at U-M underscore radio, R-A-D-I-O underscore Mike, M-I-C. That's at U-M underscore radio underscore Mike, that's M-I-C. Your radio show, sir, is dedicated to discussing the Miami Hurricanes, and we've been on each other's shows before. I'm honored to have you back on as a guest. Tell me, how are you doing these days? Jay, I'm great. I'm in the beautiful city of Atlanta this morning, getting ready for this showdown between top 14 teams in the nation, my alma mater and the defending national champs, uh, the Crimson Tide. So the energy is electric. I'm excited. The weather is absolutely beautiful. And um, I believe they're going to have the dome open today. So it's going to be a perfect day for football. Fantastic. Well, today's opening day for the Hurricanes then, right? Yes, sir. So I was hoping we could discuss the upcoming 2021 season for the U. Let's do it. I'm excited. I want to get your take on how you see this season. Let's start with the quarterbacks. Let's do that. Um, you know, it's funny that we, we want to go ahead and start with that because I was watching UNC last night and um, Sam Howell's a great quarterback. A lot of people are projecting him to go, you know, top three, top five, maybe even first overall, who knows? And so I'm looking at him and I'm a fan of his. I like him a lot. And um, a lot of people consider him to be, depending on who you talk to, maybe the best quarterback in the nation. And he didn't have a good game last night. Uh, I'm not uh, blaming that on himself. Uh, more so Virginia Tech's defense, but I was kind of looking at, and again, this is not me slandering Sam Howell at all, because I'd love to have him as my quarterback, but if that's the best quarterback in the country, then De'Ara King is probably top three or top five. This mm. is the first time De'Ara King is Miami starting quarterback, is a six-year uh, college football player, second year at Miami. This is the first time in his career that he has had uh, consecutive seasons in the same offense. We all know how good, how important that is for a quarterback in particular. Um, Last year was his first year, and he had a very good season last year, especially considering, you know, with restrictions, restrictions, I should say, with COVID, uh, lack of practice, so on and so forth. So we all know his, he tore his ACL in the last uh, game for Miami of the 2020 season against Oklahoma State. You won't be able to tell by the way he's been practicing, okay? And I get it. There's nothing like game speed. There, you cannot replicate game speed. I understand that. But if he is able to move how he has been moving, and I think there's nothing that's going to be holding him back. He's not playing with a brace. You won't be able to tell that he had that injury. And that's a significant injury, especially for a mobile quarterback. But to answer your question about Miami quarterback, uh, the room on paper looks absolutely great because of the simple fact it's led by uh, Derek King, who needs to have a Heisman performance today to beat the Crimson <laughs> Tide. But his two backups, let me tell you something about Tyler Van Dyke who is from Connecticut, if I'm not mistaken, sort of typical, like 6'3", 6'4", 220-plus pounder, has a cannon for an arm, 
and he is underrated athletic. Okay. Uh, he is in his, I believe, let me see here. I haven't pulled up. I should know this off the top of my head, but I'm still kind of waking up. Forgive me. <laughs> um, uh, he is, where is he? I think he's in, uh, still a, listed as a, a freshman because last year, you know, they were, um, they let everybody have that year. Tyler Van Dyke, yes, 224-pound uh, freshman from uh, Glastonbury, Connecticut. However, Miami, you know, there's nothing like competition, okay, at every position, at every sport, because it brings out the best. Behind him, Jake Garcia, true freshman, his, his, his high school career was very interesting because of the simple fact that it started out in California, and it ended up in Georgia because of COVID. California high school mm -hmm. football wasn't played. Uh, last season, if I'm not mistaken, which is exactly why he wanted to move so he can get that senior year under his belt. Moved over to Grayson, and the kid is absolutely electric. So electric to the uh, uh, to the fact that listed behind Derek King as a backup, they have an or between Tyler Van Dyke and Jake oh. Garcia. So that tells a little bit about him. Uh, people are expecting one of them to transfer if they don't land the starting position next season, which would be unfortunate. But that's why you always got to recruit at least one quarterback a year. But both of those guys, four stars coming out. Yes, they're inexperienced. So if something unfortunately happens to Derek King, that'll be the problem at that position. The depth, uh, well, not the depth, but the experience. But they're players. They can play. And in a Rhett, Lash in a Rhett Lashley offense in which Tyler Dyke is entering, you know, another year, um, I would think he would get the nod behind uh, King just because of the simple fact of experience, even though he doesn't have that many snaps under his belt, uh, college football uh, wise, um, he's not a true freshman. So um, it's looking good. It's unproven talent uh, at the high, at the college level, but it's talent nonetheless. Oh, what great insight you bring. Fantastic. How about the running back core? Oh man. Um, I have done a really good job of taking off my Homer hat for this podcast. <laughs> okay. I really have because uh, I am not going to compare this running back room to the great running back rooms that Miami has at all time when they had Clinton Portis, and Frank Gore, and Willis McGahee all in the same backfield, all right? And in that backfield, a Hall of Famer was third string, Frank Gore, who's what, like top three in NFL rushing yardage as we speak. But um, entering the season, Cameron Harris uh, Jr. out of Miami is the project, not projected, he's been listed as a starter, okay? And, and rightfully so because he's a load, okay? And you may, may have been hearing about him more had he gone to play, say, at a place like Wisconsin, okay? Miami had an 8-3 and three season last season, if I'm not mistaken. And although that's not terrible, um, you know, the losses kind of made the season look worse than what it was. He had some really bad losses, especially, you know, against UNC. But Cam Harris is a load at 5'10", 220, what does it say here? I'm sorry, 5'10", 210. He lost 10 pounds. He Whoa. felt that that was kind of slowing him down last year, but he's back to running over 20 miles an hour. All right. Uh, he's a load. Behind him, uh, maybe my favorite running back in the room is a true freshman in Thad Franklin. Six foot 230. Okay. Six foot 230. That's another bruise. He's a true freshman. Um, uh, but Another one that Kane's uh, uh, fans like, and these are all highly tied guys out of Miami, okay? I'm talking about Alabama wanted them. SEC folks wanted them. Everybody wanted them. Don Chaney Jr., uh, he is a second-year uh, freshman. He's listed as a freshman, again, because, like I said, COVID allowed for a year uh, to go to still keep your status. 
Uh, he's a load, another 5'10", 200-plus running back from, from Miami. Now, all of these backs, they're 200-plus, you know, you know uh, workhorses and, and bulldozers. But there's one by the name of Jalen Knighton who's that, that lightning, that electric, okay? Mm-hmm. And he's from the Fort Lauderdale area, 5'10", 190. He's a blur. Another guy that was highly touted and wanted by, you know, pretty much everybody in the Southeast or nationwide, pretty much. Mammy was able to retain his services. And unfortunately, I'm not sure exactly the reason. Uh, I don't want to speculate, but he is suspended for today's game. I'm not exactly sure why. That's going to hurt because he brings he's the only running back in that room with. I don't want to say they can take it to the house, because like I said, uh, Cameron Harris does run over 20 miles an hour. And so does uh, that Franklin. But he's the only back in that room that has that shiftiness to his game, that Reggie Bush style of, I'm sorry, Reggie Bush style of uh, running. And so I think he'll be missed in that regard. But the other running backs can pass block. They can, they could, they could catch the ball out of the backfield. It's a very complete uh, running back room. And I forgot to mention Cody Brown. That's another uh, running back from Georgia, 5'11", 212, another true freshman. That, 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 that room is very young. Uh, it's very young because Cameron Harris is a junior. And depending on the season that he has, he may leave to the NFL. So I'm excited, and Canes are excited about the running back room, period, and how uh, offensive coordinator Rhett Lashley plans on using them. What a phenomenal answer. You got me revved up to want to see the <laughs> Miami attack. And then he spoke about the lineage of the running backs at the U. Hmm. That lineage, as far as the wide receivers is concerned, is, is just out there in terms of the best there is. Yes. How do you foresee the wide receivers this year for Miami? Uh, so in the the uh the depth chart that coach diaz released on monday the mm-hmm. starters at receiver were mike harley a senior from fort lauderdale he is the speedster he's the one he's one of the wide receivers that can take the top off of defenses okay uh Keyshawn smith 6'1 100, 188 pound another freshman out of uh lincoln high school in san diego california all right this is actually his second year in the program but again, he gets to keep that, that freshman status because of COVID. Um, he is the one that most Kane fans are elect, I'm sorry, excited to see because of the simple fact that although his size doesn't reflect it, I was able to speak to his high school coach on, on my show a couple of years ago, right after he signed his national letter of intent, and he compared him to Santana Moss. So Whoa. that in and of itself, you know, should have anybody kind of falling out of their chair when they hear that comparison. Uh, Santana Moss at, at Miami and in his NFL career. I mean, it, I don't need to talk about it. Everybody knows what, what that looked like. Takeaway from that position room is that the starters from last season, they're hardly even on the depth chart because Miami had a serious case of receivers not going up for footballs and fighting for the 50-50 ball last year. So guys like Mark Pope, who was a highly touted uh, recruit coming out of uh, Southridge High School in Miami, uh, in Miami, Florida, he had, a, he had a case of the drops. He's unfortunate. super talented guy. Another guy that, you know, SEC folk wanted. You just, that's the thing. You could be, you know, the number one player, and you know this, following college football for as long as you have. Whatever you do in high school doesn't necessarily translate. But on paper, the guy had all the goods. He just couldn't put his practice efforts, which were always phenomenal. He couldn't put it together on game days. So Mark Pope isn't on the depth chart. D. Wiggins, uh, Jr., 6'3", 195, who also won a state championship with Mark Pope at Southridge High. He's not listed on the depth chart. But uh, everybody's excited about Xavier Restrepo, a 5'10", 195 slot receiver. A lot of people remind him. I'm sorry. He reminds a lot of people of Braxton Berrios, who's over with. He's not with the Jets anymore. I can't remember who he signed with, but a uh, smart player. 
smart player, really, really reliable hands. And this is another position group that, uh, sorry, position group that's very young, but extremely deep at Miami. And oh, how could I forget? The, uh, the other receiver is uh, a transfer from Oklahoma. People should know his name because his name is Charleston Rambo, and he was catching passes from, from everybody uh, in that Lincoln-Riley offense a couple of years ago. Um, so he's the number one receiver on the roster, 6'1", 185. I'm excited to see the matchup between him and Josh Job today. That's probably going to be Bama's number one cornerback this year, one of the better cornerbacks in college football. Um, Charleston Rambo, 6'1", 185, redshirt junior, can fly, uh, can run every route on the tree. And um, I'm excited that he has decided to, you know, bring his services over to Miami because we could really use it. So that receiving group uh, from top to bottom has speed. Not so much, not so much heights, which is crazy, which is probably we'll talk about the tight end position, I'm assuming later on. But um, definitely, guys, a lot of underneath stuff in that Red Lastly offense. Red Lastly knows how to scheme anybody open. So we'll see how they're used. Expect a lot of three, maybe four receivers at a time on the field for Miami. Incredible. Well, you spoke very eloquently about the skill positions. How do you foresee the offensive line looking this season? The most, and I'm not saying this again because I'm a homer, it's a fact. I didn't know it until, as a matter of fact, I think it was ESPN that tweeted it or some college football account, but Miami returns the most experienced offensive line in the country in terms of starts, uh, combined starts. I, that number is over 100, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'm really excited about that group in particular because uh, freshman, well, at the time he was a freshman, uh, Freshman All-American in 2017, Navon Donaldson, is a load. If you could leave after your freshman year to the NFL and college football, he would have been a first-rounder. Um, number 55, 6'6", 350 pounds, listed on the Miami website. He's a Miami, he's a local guy, went to Miami Central Senior High School. He, I believe he's going to start on the right guard position. He could play either guard spot, but I think he's going to be uh, on the right uh, starting today he comes back after a knee injury last year and when he came back you can tell because every running play was behind big number 55 mm. and they went for chunks of yardage so um, I'm excited because of the simple fact that the position is very experienced and you're going to need that um, throughout the ACC slate and especially against a defense like Alabama who everybody's talking about their defense. I mean, everybody talks about Alabama's offense and how they can score. Yeah, but if you talk about the team to Nick Saban, I think the first thing he's going to mention is that defense because, boy, it's, it's going to be a challenge. They can get after the quarterback. They can stop the run. They can, you know, they have a no-fly zone back there with that secondary, and we all know how Nick Saban is, 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 a, is an ace when it comes to coaching up secondary play. But that offensive line literally is the most experienced in college football, so that should help big time because that's one unit that you need continuity for from so hopefully they can help De'Ara King, uh, you know, in pass coverage. And um, something that Miami has struggled with in the past years is short yardage situations mm. on the ground. And it's been very frustrating. So hopefully this experience, which, you know, can go a long way, is a remedy to that. Man, you bring such incredible insight. And just to clarify for the audience, Mr. McCoy was kind enough to do this podcast and take time out of his busy schedule just, just three hours before the Miami-Alabama game today. And so as he references Miami, uh, he's about to go off to the game here in just a couple hours. Yes. Uh, Miami U defense. Let's, let's turn to that side of the ball. And I guess we'll left with the offensive line. We'll go back to the defensive line or okay. discuss the defensive line. Let's how do, do it. How do you foresee the defensive line this year for the U? Very, a lot like that running back room. Um, yeah, sure. 
not so much that they're young, okay, because they do have some experience on there, but it's 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 uh it's players that really haven't seen the field as much. And when you have three players drafted on that defensive line from last season, that's exactly why they didn't see the field as much. You had two first rounders in Greg Rousseau, who's starring, who had a phenomenal preseason for Buffalo. He went in the first round. Uh, Jalen Phillips went in the first round to Miami. Those are the uh, Jalen Phillips was an All-American and Greg Rousseau had 16 sacks the season before. He opted out of last season due to COVID. It was his option. But uh, he was second in the nation only to uh, I forgot the defensive end for Ohio State that got drafted. Young, who's now with the Redskins. Young led the nation in sacks. I think he had like 18 uh, Rousseau had 16, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. So they're gone. But that's the reason why these guys uh, I'm about to list to you. Chance Williams, um, again, second year in their program, but listed as a freshman because of the fact of COVID. He got to keep his status. He was the best pass rusher coming out of high school in um, the state of Florida. He's going to see the field. Nesta Jade Silvera, um, a defensive tackle, junior, um, fourth year junior. Uh, he is the guy that is supposed to be that defensive tackle for Miami. If you remember the likes of Vince Wilfork, uh, yes, Orion Harris, uh, Warren Sapp, so on and so yes, forth, Cortez Kennedy. He's supposed to be that guy. He hasn't necessarily lived up to those gaudy expectations. And I mean, it's hard to, if you know, the guys I just mentioned, but he's the one guy that if he can have that season for Miami, this defensive line will explode. Okay. He's fiery. He's electric. He, has that, that four-letter word that Miami fans love, that swag to him, to his game. And once he gets going, he's athletic, okay? He plays that more uh, athletic defensive tackle role for Miami. He's not so much that big plug run stuffer that could get double teamed. He's the guy that's going to get up the field quick, all right? Miami needs him to have a big season because I say this about Miami's defensive line. Uh, they just need one and just one, Jay, one defensive tackle to disrupt and get upfield because that gets, you know, the linebackers, which now have speed, okay? I never thought that speed would be something that would be lacking at Miami, but last season, the linebacker position did lack speed. Um, it's going to let those guys back there go crazy if Nesta gets in that backfield. Um, but the the ends, the rush ends, Zach McLeod is a converted defensive end. Now he, his first three years at Miami, he played at linebacker, but uh, he sat out last season and he's bulked up to 254. Still kind of light for a defensive end, but he puts his hands on the dirt this year. Uh, Jafari Harvey, 6'4", 252, out of Vero Beach uh, High School in Florida. That's the guy that is probably going to be a household name by the end of the season. That guy can get to the quarterback and make him a problem. So look out for number 12 today if you guys are going to watch that game. Um, there's a lot of talents. Again, unproven. But Jared Harrison Hunt is in the mold of Nesta Jade Silvera, that athletic more defensive tackle that's going to get upfield, but the the run stuffer number ninety six, Big John Ford. You talk about an SEC body, he has it six five three fifteen. Mm. Doesn't get it much bigger than that. So he's the guy that's hopefully you know going to demand some some attention in that regard, and and we'll see. Allow the linebackers to to fly around as well. So Miami definitely has the ability to get to the quarterback. It's it's uh they just got to prove it again, and that defensive tackle spot has to make some noise because if not those you know the defense is not going to work in my opinion man i cannot tell you how much i appreciate your deep analysis of miami you uh you spoke toward the lineage of the great defensive line that miami U has turned to the linebackers that lineage is just unparalleled how do you foresee 
the linebacker core this upcoming season? I'm excited again. And, and again, this is no shade to the linebackers before here because I love everybody that dons the U on their helmet and is fortunate enough to represent my alma mater on the gridiron. But they lacked speed last year and it mm. showed. OK, if this was 10, 15 years ago, Miami's linebacking core probably would have gone drafted in the first, second or third round because they were thumpers. They were downfield thumpers and not that they couldn't cover or 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 or, or um you know, uh, react from sideline to sideline that way, but it wasn't their strength. It wasn't their strength. And if you got them with a shifty guy in the backfield, they most likely were going to struggle in that matchup, especially in pass coverage. That's not the case anymore. Um, Keontre Smith, who actually came in as a safety a couple years back, was moved down to Miami's striker position. Striker is kind of a mold between, it's like a hybrid safety and linebacker. And depending on the, the team that you root for, everybody has that position on their roster. So it's just that different programs will call it different. Like Alabama calls that position the star position, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so he's, he was a striker last year for Miami, Country Smith. He's now moved to linebacker. And if you look at a 4-3 defense, okay, uh, Miami still kind of resembles a 4-3 defense, except that third linebacker, okay, is now the striker. Keontre Smith is listed as a linebacker, all right? The other starting um, linebacker, uh, number 44, Bradley Jennings, he's more of a prototypical, you know, size type linebacker, okay? Uh, not the speed that I spoke of with Keontre Smith. Like I said, he was a former safety, but still a guy, you know, brings that experience. Number 44, you could depend on him. Um, there were freshmen last year that played a lot for Miami. Those guys are incredibly fast as well. Uh, 6'1", 225, number 18, Tyreek Austin Cave. He's going to see the field. Uh, Brad, uh, the aforementioned Bradley Jennings that I just spoke about, he's 6'1", 230. You probably won't see him that much in pass coverage like you would number 18, Cave, and number four, Keontre Smith. But Corey Flagg, another guy, 5'11", 230. He's a guy, um, one of the best linebackers in, in, in Texas in his senior year in high school. Um, Sam Brooks, uh, 6'2", 230. I don't know if many people remember the name Sean Spence that played at Miami back in around 2010. He's a mold. He, he, he's, he's like Sean Spence 2.0 because Sean, Sean Spence can hit, he can cover, and he's a little bit bigger than Sean Spence, but he's nursing an injury, so I don't think he's going to play for a couple games. Um, uh, Avery Huff, another guy, 6'3", 205. You think 205. Wow, that's uh, kind of light in the pants for a linebacker. But that's kind of the way defenses are, are going now. They're, I mean, you look at the way uh, offenses are transitioning. And um, since there's a lot more speed on the field, you can't have that 235 linebacker out there all the time because everybody is in four receiver sets and spreading the field. So uh, he's a big, rangy linebacker. All right. Um, I like his, what he could bring to the table. He hasn't seen the field much throughout his career. But um and Deshaun Trotman, another freshman from Miami, he, from Orlando, I should say. These are all speedy guys in the six foot, six one, uh, between 200 and 210, 215 pound range that can move. All right. So I'm really excited about that because that speed issue that Miami had at linebacker last year, it's not, it should be resolved. It's resolved. Oh, you bring such keen insight. That's why I'm thrilled to have you back on as the guest. <laughs> you come back on. The in-depth analysis you give, phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal. Thank you. Well, how do you project they'll do this season, sir? Man, uh, again, I have had to remove my fan hat 
you know, because I, I got to be fair. I got to be, you know, if anybody's going to take you seriously, you got to you got to do that. So you look at the schedule for Miami and it's the same thing every season, Jay. It's the, the schedule works out. The schedule lines up. Miami fans say that each year and, you know, oh, one loss oh two losses at most because, you know, the, the, the division that Miami plays in isn't the strongest. But as ACC fans know, much like the SEC, you have that one or two teams that could creep up on you, okay? And it happens in every conference. I mean, you're a Pac-12 guy. I'm sure that happens in, in, in your conference as well. Um, Miami kicks off the season with Alabama, okay? Uh, I think the spread is, uh, or, or the line was moved to like 19 and a half points late last night. Am I expecting Miami to win? Yeah, I expect them to win because that's what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> of course. Now, will they win? What, what it's going to take for Miami to win that game today Miami's going to have to play the perfect game, coach the, coach the perfect game. Miami's, uh, I'm sorry, Alabama's going to have to kind of be off, okay? What are the chances of those two happening? That's the question. I don't know. But you look at Alabama, you got Appalachian State uh, on September 11th. Michigan State is the second home game for Miami. Um, then you got Central Connecticut State, Virginia, UNC, who lost last night, NC State, Pittsburgh, Georgia Tech, FSU. Virginia Tech, and Duke to close out the season. All winnable games, okay? I'm saying two losses because of the simple fact, like I said, you know, there's always that one team that should, they're probably going to creep up on you, all right, and, and beat you. But if you just look at it on paper, Alabama should be the only loss on the schedule because that's the best team Miami's going to play. And depending, depending on how they look today, uh, it'll tell you how Miami's season is going to go. If Miami gets blown out, it, you know, uh, ask me about this next week. <laughs> but if it's a close game and it's a tight game and, you know, they look like they belong on the field at 3.30 p.m., uh, Miami should be looking good. The, the key for Miami is winning their division and getting to Charlotte in December for the ACC championship game, right? And everybody likes to rag on Miami, especially, you know, those Gator fans out there. Oh, you haven't even won your conference. You know, it, it took the Gators forever to win their conference for the first time, too. So, um Miami schedule lines up. Their experience on the field is there. Depth, coaching. I love what they bring to the field. Their coaching staff had a bit of a makeover this past season. Uh, uh, Traveras Robinson is their secondaries coach. I went to high school with him. He played over at Auburn. Um, played over at Auburn. He had a brief stint in the NFL. He is a recruiting maniac. Uh, high school uh, football players love him, which is why Miami is having huge success on the recruiting front uh, in the secondary right now for the next recruiting cycle. He, he's a stud coach. Um, Rhett Lashley is a great offensive coordinator. Like I said, he schemes up a lot of guys open. You don't believe me, go watch the tape last year and uh, his time at FSMU. Um, that offense was phenomenal. And then Miami Diaz is actually the, the, the defensive coordinator last year. You don't really, I'm sorry, this year, you really don't see a lot of head coaches take on the defensive coordinator role, but Miami's decided to do that. I'm excited because the last time he was our defensive coordinator, Miami's defense was lights out. All right. The guy knows how to call defenses. He's aggressive. He and there's three things that Miami, Manny Diaz talks about when he talks about his defense. He wants it to be fast, physical and tough. I expect that on the field for Miami. Miami has depth this season at pretty much every position. And so uh, the second unit, there's not going to be much drop off from the first. All right. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say two losses with an appearance in the uh, ACC championship game against I'm assuming it should be Clemson. But uh, Miami has to beat UNC. That game is at Chapel Hill this year. And they got to worry about Virginia Tech, too. 
like they do every year, but Virginia Tech, Miami's, you know, been okay with them the past couple of seasons, but they looked great beating a top 10 team last night. So we'll see. Man, you got me excited for the upcoming season for Miami. That's great stuff. Well, let's finish by discussing a little Miami Hurricane college football history. Do it. Um, maybe do it in two parts if, if you have the time. Do it. So Coach Howard Schnellenberger, 1979 to 1983, 41-16, won 71.9% of his games and brought to you the first national championship. He passed away this year. Can you offer a few words in memory of the legendary coach? He deserves a statue somewhere on campus. Everybody knows Miami doesn't have an on-campus stadium, but uh, he's the godfather of uh, UM football, period. period, point blank, period. The, the late, great Bobby Bowden, uh, who, you know, rest his soul as well. I was a huge fan of Bobby Bowden, and I don't care what any Miami Hurricanes fans says about Bobby Bowden. So what he coached to knows, he was one of those guys that was great for college football. Bobby Bowden said that if Howard Schnellenberg had never left to um, coach in pro football, that he would be the best and greatest college football coach of all time. That came out of the mouth wow. of Bobby Bowden, okay? Wow. So, I mean, those are big words. I'm, I'm 38 years old, so I wasn't, uh, I wasn't uh, around much before. I was born the same year that Miami won their national championship in 1983. So, I mean, I can't speak too much of uh, Howard Schnellenberger and how, you know, the games that I remember, obviously, because I didn't see any of them. But uh, he's famous for leaving his pipe, okay? He, he would, you know, smoke from a pipe. <laughs> and... Uh, leaving his pipe in the homes of recruits so that he would have a reason to go back and speak to them again in their living rooms. <laughs> it's just, he had that deep voice and we all know what he did over at Louisville as well. Louisville, Louisville wouldn't have the program that they have right now. I mean, it's not what Miami, you know, the history that Miami has, but Louisville, I mean, you look at things, they just had a Heisman trophy winner in Lamar Jackson. Okay. Louisville has been respectable. And then he went over to FAU and he was big in getting them an on-campus stadium. FAU who plays Florida today, led by uh, Nkosi Perry, who is a UM transfer. He's starting, and he's taking over the FAU Owls uh, um, in Gainesville to take them on, so we'll see how he does. But Howard Stellenberger, man, started it all for Miami, and Miami owes him everything, everything, everything. Your words resonate with me. He was a legend, so eloquent. You were so eloquent, Mr. McCoy. Ready for a little fun to finish up today? Let's do it. It's going to put you on the spot, sir. Okay. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Can you count down for me from five down to one, the greatest mm -hmm. Miami Hurricane football teams of all time? All right. So um, from five to one. Wow. Let's go from five to one. I'm going to have to say the team that started it all in 83. I'm going to go ahead and put them. I'm going to put them at five. Okay. They beat for the first of five national championships in UM history. They beat, uh, was it Nebraska? Yeah, it was a Nebraska team that was supposed to be, at the time, like one of the greatest teams ever in college football. They were just manhandling everybody. Everybody knows what kind of offense they ran. Everything was bruising on the ground. And so you take that into perspective. It's kind of like how LeBron James liked to say, well, we, be, we, we beat a 73-win regular season team in the NBA and the Golden State Warriors. We beat them in the NBA Finals. So uh, we beat the greatest team. So I think that my team is one of the greatest teams of all time. Kind of in that respect, you know, if you beat a team that many consider to be one of the greatest of all time, then, hey, uh, you know, that, that, that 
that has to put that team up there in UM lore. Um, I like also that was number five. I like the the team that didn't win at all. Okay, in '86, mm-hmm. I like them as actually no, I can't say I can't say four. I'm gonna I'm gonna res- I'm gonna get them at three. So number four, I like the team that that Butch started putting together. I like the team that Butch started putting together and ended up being uh, Sugar Bowl champions in 2000. This is a team that beat a number one ranked FSU team. I think they beat three top five or top 10 teams that season, including a previously undefeated FSU led by a Heisman winning quarterback, Chris Winky that year. I was at that game. That was uh, the game that kind of, you know, said to the to the nation that Miami was back. Ken Dorsey to Jeremy Shockey, five hour long game uh, in October. It was sweltering. I was there. It was crazy. After the clock struck zero, people were still in the stands at the old Orange Bowl, just celebrating like a half hour after the game. And they beat number one. That team should have gone on to play Oklahoma for the national championship in the Orange Bowl. And if Miami would have hosted that game, I don't think there's any doubt that they would have won. Um, I'm going to put them at four. All right. Because they probably should have, like I said, they should have won, you know, played for the national champion that year. Um, Number three, I like I like the 86 team. The team, well, yeah, the, the team that lost to Penn State in the Fiesta Bowl, led by Vinny Testaverde, and this is kind of giving me a headache right now thinking about it. <laughs> Again, I didn't watch the game. I was three years old. But knowing that that team got off the plane in fatigues, and a lot of people hate that Miami did that. But you know what? It is what it is, and that's what they did. That's how they were winning games. Games were won before they even got on the field because of the intimidation factor. I like that team at three. And a lot of young fans are probably scratching their head right now saying, Mike, that team is probably <laughs> the best team in Miami football history because a lot of people consider them being able to beat um, able to beat the 2001 team, who we'll talk about at number one. But that 86 team was loaded. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, um, they didn't win at all. Uh, Vinny Tessaverde had, an, uh, had a terrible game. I think he threw like, I don't know how many interceptions, but uh, Penn State was out gained yardage-wise big time that game but that that 80s that that team was was just ridiculous that that didn't uh take it all the way home the second team um for Miami that I really like of all time another team that didn't go all the way I like the team that uh lost to Alabama in a national championship game in what was it 92 or 93 uh Dabo Sweeney was a receiver on that team uh head coach for Clemson right now uh, a lot of people maybe not may not know that he was uh, I think he was a walk on right receiver for Alabama on that team. That team was very good, an underrated Miami team in my imagination. Uh, you know, I have them under at number two. A lot of Kings fans probably won't have them in their top three or four. I like them because of the simple fact that I don't know how many national pundits at the time had Miami even playing in that game. All right, and so the team had it all. They were electric in the air, fiery. Uh, explosive offense, fun to watch, very, very aggressive defense. Uh, you know, they, ha- they had guys that were in the NFL, names that you'll know, Jesse Armstead, Michael Barrow, uh, Darren Smith. You know, they had that linebacking trio. Um, uh, I think Lamar Thomas was in that game. Well, he was in the game. He got stripped by George Teague, got ran down and stripped by George Teague, the infamous, you know, play there. But uh, yeah, um, I love that team a lot. And again, they're not, they're not that might not be the popular pick for Miami fans, 
but it, I don't know that that team for whatever reason has a special place in my heart. And then, of course, I think everybody knows the answer, the number one team. And I am not just saying this because they went undefeated. I'm not just saying this because of, you know, the names which you list on that team. But uh, you go undefeated. You beat a Nebraska team who has Eric Crouch as their starting quarterback, who won the Heisman, who won the Heisman that year. Uh, whoever Miami played that night for the national championship game was going to lose. I don't care if it was Joey Harrington's Oregon Ducks. I don't care if it was the Colorado Buffalo who had beat Nebraska a couple weeks prior to that. Could have been anybody. All right, and a lot of people like to say um, Miami got lucky even playing in that game. Yeah, they did. They got lucky playing in that game. But you know what? Any champion will tell you throughout their season that they experienced at least a little bit of luck. All right. I'm not ashamed to say that Miami uh, had some luck there. Everybody knows what happened at Boston College, that play where it was tipped by uh, Mike Rump, deflected by Mike Rump, intercepted by Matt Walters. And then Matt Walters got stripped of the ball by his own teammate, Ed Reed, and he took it down for a score to seal the deal. And then uh, I don't know if it was before that or after that week, Virginia Tech. Um, our cornerback slips in the end zone, okay, on a two-point conversion, all right, and the receiver just dropped the ball, wide open, dropped the ball, and that's something that Miami probably wasn't going to be able to rebound from had he caught that two-point conversion. Uh, Ernest Wolford, I believe his name was, a receiver for Virginia Tech. So those were um, some lucky plays for Miami, but you look at Ken Dorsey, 38-2 and at Miami, won 38 games in a row, uh, wasn't the most skilled quarterback but he was a brain and a leader and a general uh everything that you needed at Miami to be a successful quarterback Andre Johnson at receiver um Jeremy Shockey at tight end behind Jeremy Shockey was Kellen Winslow Jr. who didn't have a great NFL career but he had a fantastic college career won the Mackey Award that offensive line uh uh, Bryant McKinney, we all know what he did in the NFL. Mount McKinney, he's known as, I talked about the running backs before. You have Frank Gore. You have Clinton Portis. You have Willis McGahee. You have Najee Davenport. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Defense, Jonathan Vilma, Vince Wolfork. Sean Taylor was backing up Ed Reed. Okay, that's someone that may have been in the Hall of Fame had he not left us before his time. Yes, uh, and so, I mean, Six first rounders, you know, and we saw just in this past draft, I think Alabama had six first rounders as well, but that's unprecedented. That's unprecedented. And the way they beat teams, you know, they made it look easy. That team right there is the best team in Miami football history, in my opinion. And again, that 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 will be rivaled by a lot of Kings fans saying that the 86 team was great. But um, there's a lot of Kings fans that say that the 01 team is the, is, is the way to go. <laughs> I mean, just go back and look at the tape, man. I think their average time of possession on offense was still something ridiculous, like less than two minutes. And it, they were just all over the place, fun to watch from top to bottom. Oh, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Sportscaster Mike McCory's top five Miami football teams of all time. Number five, the 1983 Miami Hurricanes. Four, the 2000 Miami Hurricanes. Three, the 1986 Miami Hurricanes. Two, the 1992 Miami Hurricanes, and at number one, the 2001 Miami Hurricanes. Well, Mike McCoy, thank you so much. You have been a phenomenal guest. Again, Mr. Mike McCoy, sportscaster, contributor for the stateoftheu.com, and former host of the radio show, The Mike McCoy Show, found that Slam Radio. You may find him on Twitter at Twitter handle at um underscore radio underscore mic that's at um underscore radio underscore mic 
Thank you for listening to History of College Football. I am Jay Abramson. Join us every Tuesday and Saturday for a new episode. Jay, thank you very much. Um, I appreciate, I love every time that I am a guest on your show. Your content is phenomenal. Whoever doesn't follow you on Twitter is making a mistake, especially if they love the history of the sport. Every time I have a chance to bring you up to anybody that loves the history of the sport, I tell them to follow you. Please keep doing what you're doing because we appreciate it. We love it. Um, and it's fun. Uh, you, you have a great podcast. You put it together very well. And um, just thank you. Thank you. Every time you, know, you ask me to come on, it's no hesitation on my part. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, sir. Your words mean everything to me.